Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Chris Gunty. Today on Catholic Baltimore, we're talking with Jennifer Bremen, who is Executive Director of the Maryland Catholic Conference, and Garrett O'Day, Deputy Director. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Chris. First of all, what is the Maryland Catholic Conference? What do you do, and what's this all about? The Maryland Catholic Conference advocates um, for the public policy decisions of the church in Maryland uh, before the Maryland General Assembly and other civic leaders. Uh, We advocate on behalf of the three dioceses that have territory within the state of Maryland. That would be the Archdiocese of Baltimore, the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., and the Catholic Diocese of Wilmington, Delaware. You have mentioned that there are a lot of new legislators this session. Uh, About a third of the General Assembly will be new folks here. How do you educate them, inform them about what the MCC is about and about the issues that are important to the Catholic Church? Yes, as you said, um, our our primary and general elections that took place here in the state this year um, resulted in a lot of turnover in the General Assembly, um, especially in leadership of the General Assembly. We have many new committee chairs, um, many new members, about a third of the General Assembly um, members are are new, and we've spent the time since the elections occurred um, up until the time they go into session and throughout session to educate. We'll do that through relationship building, one-on-one meetings and discussions, through social media, every avenue that we can educate folks through, obviously, our advocates, um, people in the parishes. Um, It is a huge undertaking to educate new legislators and even the returning legislators on the issues that we care about. But it is um, what we do. We, uh, the staff here, our number one priority is education on those issues so that the legislators can make informed decisions and hopefully the right decisions when it comes to our priority issues. The session begins January 9th, runs for 90 days. It's a sprint. <laughs> but you don't work just those 90 days out of the year. I mean, you're already working, obviously, at this point to talk about some of the issues that you understand are coming up. And you are talking with legislators and new, new legislators coming in about some of those issues already, aren't you? Yes, absolutely, Chris. Uh, we've, we've had a lot of meetings with uh, legislators. Um, we do kind of aim to champion uh, our issues and, and advocate throughout the entire year, especially we spend a lot of time visiting uh, with, with pastors in other parishes and around the state throughout the summertime and into the fall, communicating with our schools, communicating with our hospitals, and getting out in our Catholic community and trying to educate everybody else on on what's going on in Annapolis at the same time and encouraging them to reach out to the legislators as well because the the real response comes from the folks in the pews Mm -hmm. and the constituents uh, of those legislators. What are some of the key issues for 2019? 
Well, we're going to have a, a busy 90 days. Like you said, it is a sprint, but it will be a long sprint, um, and our plate will be very full. We have before us issues, um, many traditional life issues, um, including a proposed constitutional amendment that would enshrine a woman's right to an abortion in the Maryland State Constitution. We're likely to see the return of a proposal legalizing physician-assisted suicide. We are going to be working to proactively pass a fetal homicide bill that would increase the penalties associated with the crime of killing an unborn child um, as a result of an attack on a pregnant woman. We will see um, not only those traditional life issues addressed, but also perhaps what would be considered non-traditional life issues, everything from immigration issues, human trafficking, legislation addressing violence um, in our in our communities. Um, we also will see the return, the reauthorization of the Boost Scholarship Program that provides scholarship to low-income students in the state. Um, we will have a extremely full plate this year. And that's not a typical kind of thing when you look at a lot of organizations that work to advocate for uh, various positions, they'll be very single issue focused. Yes. yes. You know, whether it's the, the teachers union, you know, just focusing on education or right. a workers union sure. just focusing on sure. workers. You really kind of do across the board. And it's not necessarily all Republican or Democrat kinds of issues, are they? No, they're not. And um, even though they are issues that kind of span the political spectrum, the one thing that they all have in common is the inherent dignity of life. Um, that is a theme that runs through all of the issues, and it drives what we do. Um, everything from poverty issues to education issues um, to um, violence and um, traditional life issues. Life is what drives us, um, the dignity of life, um, the fact that we are all made in, in God's image. And that is, even though we're not single issue, I'd say that um, the, the one thread that runs through all of our issues that makes us a very focused in what we advocate for is, is life and the dignity of life. Does that make it easier for you to talk to legislators or harder because you can find common ground with just about anybody or... Or is it, is it more difficult? I think it might make it a little harder. I think the re-educating, if you will, or realigning of, of folks' thoughts on, on these issues and educating, if you will, that human trafficking is a life issue, that you know, right. when you're talking to perhaps a, a more conservative legislator and, and telling them that, that human trafficking or, or um, immigration is a life issue, um, that's a little bit out of their comfort zone, mm-hmm. um, whereas a legislator that falls maybe farther to the left on the political spectrum, letting them know that the same reason that we do um, let, advocate on behalf of migrant families is the same reason that we advocate on behalf of the unborn. And one thing I'd add to that too, Chris, is that as compared to a lot of single-issue nonprofits or groups that are that are advocating for a single-issue subject matter legislation, we represent the voice of the Catholic Church, and that encompasses nearly a million Marylanders. So there is a, a very large group of constituent voices that we're representing to as well. So I think that helps with the legislature to know that we represent the, the viewpoints of such a, a large number of Marylanders. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the specifics, if we could, about some of the issues that you mentioned. The constitutional amendment about abortion, what would that do and is it a bad idea? Uh, we think it's a very bad idea. Um, what this um, legislation would do is it would um, propose that a woman's right to an abortion is enshrined in the Maryland State Constitution. If the bill is passed, it requires a three-fifths majority vote by both chambers. 
It does not require any action on behalf of the governor, so it would go directly to the ballot um, in 2020 to be voted on by citizens of the state. If they were to approve that, then our state constitution would include language that guarantees a woman's right to an abortion. And that's a presidential election year, so it's going to be contentious enough as it is. Absolutely. It would get out the vote on both sides. I, I think that's part of the reason that the bill sponsor has, has suggested that it be brought forward, is to get out the vote in that presidential election year. But what that does is it also makes abortion and the regulations surrounding it untouchable for future generations. Um, a lot of times societal attitudes will change about social issues, um, and we often revisit issues as society and, and, and opinions change amongst the citizens of the state. That would make that near impossible to do. Mm -hmm. um, right now, um, the majority of Marylanders do support um, a, a woman's right to or a woman's access to an abortion um, in varying degrees. However, this would make that untouchable if you know, 50 years from now, um, the numbers tend to switch themselves and the majority of Marylanders um, agree that life is sacred, life should be respected in all forms, and they choose to change the state laws. This would pretty much make it impossible for our laws to reflect how people that in society feel about that issue. Yeah, the National March for Life in 2019 is going to focus on the science behind Correct. what we understand Absolutely. to be when life begins. Absolutely. So if that yes. science starts convincing yep. people, but this law is on the books, it'll be hard to change. Very hard to change. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other issues in terms of the the violence that's going on in our state, in our uh, especially Baltimore City, but certainly in, in other areas. We've got an opioid epidemic running rampant. What kinds of issues will do you think the General Assembly will be addressing in that, and how does the Maryland Catholic Conference help inform those? We expect to see legislation that's going to attempt to address issues of crime, especially in Baltimore City. We do expect to see budgetary funding for the State Streets Initiative, which the Catholic Church participates in, the Archdiocese of Baltimore does participate in that. So we'll be strong advocates for that funding. What those initiatives are all going to look like remains to be seen um, during session, and we'll, we'll look to, to see. That's a good place to take a break. After the break, we're going to talk some more with Jennifer Bremen, Executive Director of the Maryland Catholic Conference, and her Deputy Director, Garrett O'Day. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world, from the newsroom of the Catholic Review. Loving means putting your heart into play, willing to experience compassion, and to be moved to action, Pope Francis said. The most common opposite to love of God, to the compassion of God, is indifference, the Pope said January 8th during morning Mass in the Doma Sancta Marta, where he lives. Indifference, he said, is telling oneself, I'm satisfied. I don't need anything. I have everything. I've got a guarantee for this life and eternal life because I go to Mass every Sunday and I'm a good Christian, but then turning one's eyes away from a homeless person begging on the street. Every Christian is called to try to reflect God's love and compassion in the world, he said. Think about this. God takes the first step. He has compassion and mercy, but many times our attitude is indifference. Pope Francis prayed in his homily that God would heal humanity, beginning with us, that our hearts would be healed of this illness that is the culture of indifference. The Archdiocese of Baltimore makes its presence known every year at the March for Life in Washington, D.C., 
and 2019 is shaping up to be no exception. This year's theme, unique from day one, highlights the concept that pro-life is pro-science. The 46th annual event was begun in 1974 as a response to the Supreme Court's decision in Roe v. Wade that legalized abortion on demand. The January 18th march in Washington, D.C. includes several ancillary events, including a youth rally and a mass for life. The main rally begins on the National Mall at 10 a.m., followed by the march to the Supreme Court building and the U.S. Capitol from 1 to 3 p.m. For more information, visit bit.ly.com slash AOB dash MFL 19. That's B-I-T-L-Y dot com forward slash AOB dash MFL 19. The Annual Appeal for Catholic Ministries, formerly known as the Archbishop's Annual Appeal, changed its name to better reflect its mission. Terry Brashears, Senior Director of Stewardship and Administration and Interim Director of Annual Appeals for the Archdiocese of Baltimore, said the name change gave the Archdiocese the opportunity to better represent what the Annual Appeal has always been about, the parishes, programs, and ministries of the Archdiocese. Parishes collectively are the largest beneficiaries of the appeal. Even if a parish does not meet its goal, it receives a rebate of 25% of its donations. Parishes that don't meet their goal are not responsible for covering the difference. The second largest portion, just over $1.2 million in 2018, goes directly to Catholic Charities of Baltimore. Local Catholic schools and support for seminary education also benefit from the appeal. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Christopher Gunty. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. 
We're back on Catholic Baltimore talking with folks from the Maryland Catholic Conference, Jennifer Bremen, Executive Director, and Garrett O'Day, Deputy Director. Education is a really important focus of the Maryland Catholic Conference and educating our legislators here. What are some of the topics that are coming up? Uh, expanding pre-K is an important initiative that, that is you're going to be working with, as well as some other things, right? Absolutely. So the state uh, has a commission that's been going for the last year and a half or so called the Kerwin Commission that is looking at ways to reformulate how our public schools are funded here in Maryland. Uh, There's a lot of considerations going into that, which include assessments, teacher pay, but mainly how we fund our public schools here. In Maryland. Uh, as part of that, there are recommendations to significantly expand pre-kindergarten access to four-year-olds and uh, low-income three-year-olds. Right now, it's really just expanded for low-income four-year-olds. So there are about 75,000 approximately um, four-year-olds in the state. Um, they would like to give access to as many uh, of those parents uh, to be able to send their four-year-old to pre-kindergarten. Um, the research shows that uh, students who uh, have access to pre-kindergarten make uh, significant improvements over the course of their educational career, significant advancements. And that's that, especially important for low-income children. Absolutely, right? absolutely, Chris. So the plan right now, is, as far as um, the recommendations have been put forth, are to have at full implementation 50% of all pre-kindergarten four slots uh, being provided to private providers, and that includes non-public schools as well. Of course, that includes our Catholic schools. So mm-hmm. we're really the state just doesn't have enough facilities for that. That's absolutely correct. It would cost billions of dollars to expand and have it completely provided by the public schools. So they know that they need the the private providers and the non-public and other Catholic and other non-public schools to participate in the expansion. And we're really excited for the uh, Catholic schools to be able to provide those resources through their high quality pre-kindergarten four programs to the state in partnership with the state. Last year, there was additional funding set aside for aging schools for actually some some capital projects, especially for safety programs. What kinds of things have been done and are you hoping for for that expansion to stay in 2019? Yes. For the last about five years or so, we've gotten something called the Non-Public Aging Schools Program that uh, most of our Catholic schools participate in. And and if they have older buildings that are over 50 years old or they have uh, greater than 20% low-income students, they receive a little bit more money on a sliding scale. So they've been able to do infrastructure upgrades, safety upgrades through uh, new security doors, for example, new pre-kindergarten classrooms if they need to do some structural repairs, furnaces, boilers, roofs, that sort of thing, um, deferred maintenance that they wouldn't be able to afford otherwise. So in addition, when last year they expanded Uh, safety funding for the public schools. The non-public schools received an extra three and a half million dollars as part of that aging schools program just for safety initiatives. So schools have been able, um, actually the application uh, deadline just passed last week, so, Mm -hmm. but uh, what we've been hearing is that schools are going to be able to do new security doors, they're going to be able to do new um, uh, visibility measures in their lobbies to make uh, their their uh, the visibility of who enters and exits the school a little bit more palatable. And the other thing that they're going to do is, is a lot of security cameras, for example, uh, in and around the school buildings to be able to see who's coming in and out of the school buildings. So it's going to 
really be a, a great program for our schools. Would that even help pay for some of those badging systems we see if you visit a school, they scan your ID and give you a, a name badge that's actually got your photo on it? Yes, as long as it's capital funds and it's actually a physical improvement, um, no subscriptions to the, the services or whatever, but uh, they will definitely be able to provide upgrades through that program for those systems. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, I want to talk to you some more about one of the initiatives you mentioned uh, in the first part about the fetal homicide bill. And that comes kind of a, from the news last year of a woman who was pregnant and was killed by her then-fiancé. Where is that bill going, and, and what do you expect to come out of that? I'm sure everyone is, is, a lot of your listeners are familiar with the story of Laura Wallen, who was killed by her then-fiancé um, when she was, um, I, I think she was only 14 weeks pregnant at the time, um, however, had, you know, attended and had many sonograms done and, and named her son um, Reed and was very much looking forward to his birth um, when her um, fiancé um, murdered her and, of course, um, her son Reed died as well. Prosecutors in that case were not able to bring charges against her fiancé for the death of her son their son, Reed. Mm -hmm. Maryland law states that prosecutors can, can bring those charges if the fetus is viable, which um, right now is placed at around 24 weeks. Even states such as California have laws um, that are much more favorable to protecting pregnant women than we do here in Maryland. For example, in California, um, a unborn child would only have to be um, eight weeks gestation in order for those charges to be brought. Um, Maryland provides women who choose to have an abortion uh, many protections and many guarantees when they make that choice. But unfortunately, for women in the state that choose to have their baby and choose to carry their child to full term, um, if they are the victim of a violent crime, they are not given the same protections and their unborn child is not given that. Prosecutors are not given that ability to bring charges in the death of that child, even when the, the woman chose to bring that child to term. So, you know, we're looking for parity in that instance for the women that do choose life and do choose to mm -hmm. have the children, um, that if they are the victim of a violent crime, they are afforded certain protections. Why is this a domestic violence issue? Um, it's a domestic violence issue because homicide is the number one killer of pregnant women in the state of Maryland, above um, illness, above car accidents. Um, and our homicide rate of pregnant women here in the state of Maryland is 10 times that the national average. Um, women are... That's absurd. It's absurd. And the fact that we are do not provide um, protections to those women and... And, the, and their children. And their children, right, um, are not there is, is um, an injustice. We um, are often look to um, domestic violence groups to lead the way on this bill um, because these women obviously are, are victims. These crimes are committed by intimate partners. Far and away, these are these are not crimes that are committed by by strangers to the women. Um, they are being targeted because they are pregnant. Um, so you know, we call on um, domestic violence groups to partner with us in this extremely worthwhile and overdue effort. Mm -hmm. Another issue that is sure to come up again is physician-assisted suicide. Mm -hmm. You've worked on that issue a number of years. You were the uh, mm -hmm. associate director for mm -hmm. life issues mm -hmm. before becoming executive director. What's your approach this year? Our approach this year, I think, is the same as in past years, and that is um, educating legislators on how flawed this legislation is. I mean, I think one thing that continues um, to stand out is the lack of education um, as to how this would actually be put into practice, and that involves the reintroduction into our communities of large amounts of highly addicted Schedule II drugs. And if you've heard the term Schedule II, it's because it's the same federal DEA schedule where 
refined opioids, um, mm-hmm. highly addictive drugs. And don't we have a problem in the state with we opioids? We do. We do have a problem. So. so, so any legislation that would um, introduce more of those same class of drugs into our community pharmacies, and not just in small quantities, but in large quantities, a hundred pills per prescription. Um, and there's and there's no provision of how that no. gets taken back or there is not. Um, federal law um, requires that all Schedule II drugs are returned to law enforcement if they're not used. Obviously, we can see how how much people abide by that federal law, um, mm-hmm. given the amount of opioids that are go unregulated and unchecked in our communities. So that is um, a shock to people. When people hear about that, it, it gives them pause. Even if, in theory, they um, support the bill, um, when the rubber meets the road and you find out how this would be put into practice, people um, stop in their tracks and they realize this is not good policy. For so the state not only does it not respect the dignity of each Correct. human being, it's just bad it's policy. It's just a bad, bad idea all around. Yeah, so we will um, be fighting that proposal as well this year. All right. Well, you've got a lot of work ahead of you uh, when the, the, the session air, uh, begins and runs uh, for 90 days. Mm-hmm. We thank you so much for being with us. We've been talking today with Jennifer Bremen, Executive Director of the Maryland Catholic Conference, and Garrett O'Day, Deputy Director. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.